Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. End of our sermon series on Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, and we find ourselves uh, today in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 34. And in this passage, uh, it might be a very familiar passage to some of you, uh, Jesus addressed something we all deal with, which is anxiety, worry. Um, And as our great physician, Jesus provides us in this passage with the treatment for our anxiety. So follow along as I read uh, this passage for us, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. You can find it in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Father, we do pray for your help. Um, We gather together today to be with brothers and sisters, to sing your praises, uh, to fellowship with one another, Um, but we've also gathered together because we need to hear your voice. We need to hear the voice of your Son. Father, we pray that as we look at your Word, you would pour out your Spirit, that we might understand it, that it might be applied to our hearts that we might be changed by the good news we find in your word. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, the anxiety that Jesus was talking about in this passage, you know, a, a preoccupation with the future and uh, things that are out of our control, it, it's something we all deal with, right? Um, and, and it's like a toxic poison uh, in our systems that courses through all our veins, right? It's synonyms. uh, If 
you get out a thesaurus or a dictionary, you're going to find words like these. Angst and apprehension and dread and disquiet and fear and panic and unease and trouble and stress. Words like those. And nothing good or desirable. Um, and its symptoms are manifest in all kinds of ways in our lives. Emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, right? Everything from irritability to irrational fears that we have uh, to insomnia and ulcers, from bitterness, right, and jealousy to inconsolable grief and burnout. To be human is to be infected with this toxic poison called anxiety. Several years ago, I, I listened to, I, I think it was seven or eight episodes of this investigative journalism podcast that was looking into um, a murder conspiracy claim in a small town in Alabama. And some of you probably listened to this podcast as well. It's, it's about six or seven years old. But the person making the claim of this murder conspiracy lived in that town, and he happened to be one of the most skilled antique clock restorers in the world, right? And um, he was a strange, strange character. Uh, he just exhibited some really odd behavior. The claims that he was making were, were pretty wild. But the investigator doing this podcast, he was chasing down all the leads like he, he should, and he was seeking to substantiate all the claims that were being made, and he just kept pulling on all of these very bizarre threads in the story. And as I was listening to it, you know, I, was, I felt like I was on the edge of my seat, just waiting for that one final clue to drop that was going to pull all these th bizarre threads together and explain the mystery. And then seemingly out of nowhere, in the middle of the investigation, uh, the antique clock restorer tragically and violently took his own life. And it seemed that the murder conspiracy and all the other mysteries connected to this story were going to go unexplained. But then the investigator discovered something. There is a process for restoring gold finish on antique clocks that involves heating and handling mercury. And he had been doing this for 49 years. And he had inhaled toxic amounts of mercury. The clockmaker had mercury poisoning, right? And what's called Mad Hatter's disease, right? Not just a character in Alice in Wonderland, right? A disease named after hat makers in the 1800s who used mercury to make top hats and basically went mad and insane from the poisoning. And in the end, the supposed murder conspiracy and all the odd behavior and the wild claims, they were explained as a result of this poisoning. The, the poison had totally distorted 
his view of reality. And listen, we can spend a lot of time pulling on the threads of the symptoms of anxiety and say, you need more exercise, you need to meditate, you need to do yoga, you need to eliminate what's stressful in your life, you need to take more medication, and some of those things really do have their place. Don't, don't misunderstand me on that. But if the toxic poison is in your heart and coursing through your veins, you can wind up only treating the symptoms and never treating the disease itself and go through life with a warped, distorted view of reality. And so I want us to talk about three things as we work our way through this passage and Jesus' treatment that he prescribes for our anxiety. So I want us to talk about what anxiety is. I want us to talk about where it comes from. And finally, how to treat it. What anxiety is, where anxiety comes from, and how to treat our anxiety. First, what anxiety is. So in verse 34, the last verse of our passage, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, right? for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, which is a pretty good working definition of anxiety. That anxiety is a preoccupation right, and concern with something today that may happen tomorrow. Right? Anxiety, in other words, it traffics in the future tense. You know, Jesus, you notice when Jesus put words in the mouth of the anxious person, it was all future tense. Right? Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? We want answers right now, today, to things that are unknowable to us about tomorrow. We desperately want to have control over things today that are completely out of our control. And that tension, that fear and insecurity that results from a desire to know what's unknowable, to control what's uncontrollable in our lives, that's anxiety. And nothing good comes from that unhealthy fixation and preoccupation with the unknowable and uncontrollable in our lives. Right? It's a poisonous fixation. And yet we're really, really good at it, aren't we? We live in a fallen, broken world that's insecure and fragile and full of potential trouble. And the way we traffic in anxiety is with the question, what if? Right, what if I take this job and I fail? What if I let this person down in my life? What if this person I'm trusting in my life, what if, what if they let me down? Right, what if I don't get into grad school? What if there are no jobs when I graduate? What if something happens to my spouse, to my parents, to my child? What if the kids in my class laugh at me? What if I don't get invited to the parties or to the dance? What if the economy tanks and there are layoffs at my plant? What if my child who just started driving misses curfew 
and there's been an awful accident. What if the results of the biopsy come back? And it's bad news. You know, when we traffic in the future unknowable and uncontrollable, we get really good at catastrophizing. Or, as a friend of mine put, calls it, awfulizing things. Right? All the what-ifs get pulled together into an awful catastrophic storm in our minds, right? If I fail the test, maybe that means I'm a bad student. And what if I never catch up in the class and then I don't pass the class and then I can't get into the right college or I can't graduate and then I can't get a job and then I'm homeless. What shall I eat or drink then? Right? What? Where's the money for the clothes then? Right? If I get laid off, and I get behind on my bills and I start going into debt to pay my bills and then I can't pay the electricity bill. And then I can't pay the mortgage. Then how does food get on our table? And how do I put shoes on my kids' feet? I'm stressed and anxious because I want to know what's unknowable. I want control over what's uncontrollable in my life. So if you're close to my age and you survived the 80s as a kid, you got to know that I thought about Bobby McFerrin like 20 times this week. You remember who he was? He was that guy who had that 80s uh, reggae pop song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? All in all, it was, a, it was a pretty stupid song, but there was one good line. In every life, he sings, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus said in verse 34. This broken, insecure world is full of trouble. It is full of anxiety-inducing realities. But when you worry and when you're anxious, you double the trouble. In, in verse 27, Jesus asked this rhetorical question. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you knew the day and the hour allotted for you in God's book, if you were anxious enough about it, could you add one hour to your life? Right, the obvious answer to the question is no. In fact, research suggests that you're probably subtracting hours and days from your life by being anxious, right? What is anxiety? It's this unhealthy preoccupation and fixation on knowing what's unknowable and controlling what's out of our control. And it's poisonous. It accomplishes nothing good. It only increases our trouble. And yet, we're all drawn to anxiety like a moth to the flame. So second, let's talk about where this poisonous anxiety comes from. And I'm going to try to be brief here, but this point is very important. Where did this poisonous desire to control what's out of our control and know what's unknowable come from? Because you see, defining and describing anxiety is important. But we have to know where it comes from if we're going to properly treat it. All right, so think back with me to the beginning of the Bible. 
in Genesis. You know, when God created man and woman, the story of Adam and Eve, He took them and He placed them in this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. And it was a paradise, right? It was perfect. It was unblemished, unfallen. And they were given one command. Right? Don't eat the fruit of this one tree lest you die and plunge the whole world into sin, ruin, misery, and death. Which is a lot riding on a piece of fruit, right? And we don't know what kind of fruit that was. But we do know this. There could not have been anything bad about that fruit. Because this was unfallen, unblemished paradise. And what I'm trying to tell you is that the fruit wasn't what was poisonous. And that's important. So why rest their fate and the fate of every human being to to follow them on this command about eating that fruit? I think God was saying, I want you to obey me about this fruit just because you love me. He was saying, I want you to trust me about this just because I'm God and you aren't. I want you to be happy and content living under my authority, God was saying. Just because you love me, just because you trust me, trust me, obey me, just because I said it. But do you remember the, the, certain, the serpent's temptation in that passage, Genesis 3-5? He said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, isn't that fascinating? That when Satan showed up, and tried to attack God. He didn't attack the existence of God and try to turn them into atheists and agnostics. Right? No, it was way more sinister, way more evil, way more destructive than that. Because what he attacked was God's character, God's motive. I mean, he didn't even try to deny what God said. What he did, and this is the key, He planted the insidious, toxic, poisonous suspicion and lie that God isn't really good. Right? That He's petty. You know, that He's keeping you down and under His control. He's trying to keep you under His thumb. He doesn't want what's best for you. You follow me here? We're almost done with this point. The temptation, the lie was God's not good. You should take His place. You should be the one in control. Right? You can't trust Him. You look out for you. You should be at the center of the universe, not Him. You should know what He knows. You can't trust Him just because He said it. Eat of it and your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know the story from Genesis, they grasped for that fruit and ate it. But do you understand, it wasn't just a grasping after a piece of fruit, was it? 
It was grasping after God's position and authority. It was believing the poisonous lie that God wasn't good and trying to remove God and place ourselves at the center of the universe. It was believing the poisonous lie that God can't be trusted and grasping after knowledge and control that belong to God, that rightfully belong to God alone. And the Bible says that poisonous lie and suspicion of God's goodness and trustworthiness has passed into every one of our hearts. And so we wake up into this world grasping for control and knowledge. Even those sweet babies in our nursery right now, right? they come into this world wanting control and trying to bend the universe to themselves. Our hearts radically curved in on themselves. We don't trust Him. We don't believe He loves and cares for us. So we'll take matters into our own hands. We could do a lot more with this point, but that's where this poisonous anxiety really comes from. And that lie is buried deep in all our hearts. All right, so third and last, how to treat our poisonous, anxious hearts. Um, You know, I used to read this passage. I was thinking about this this week. And it was hard for me to even get past the first part of verse 25 where Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. It didn't sound any better than Bobby McFerrin telling me to not worry and be happy, right? I I wanted to say it's not that simple. And I, I read it as if Jesus was saying, just try harder. Just do better. Stop it. Don't be anxious. Just muster up the willpower and stop being anxious. And that is not a fair reading of this passage at all. Jesus knows You cannot stop being anxious by sheer willpower. It doesn't work that way, which is why this whole passage is his treatment for our poisonous anxiety. He's telling us how we cannot be anxious. And I want to break that down into three, his treatment down into three parts. So Jesus is saying to treat your anxiety, you have to do these three things you have to look, you have to understand, and you have to seek. First, you have to look. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. Right, Jesus is saying, I want you to stop the downward spiral. Stop the what-ifs and the catastrophizing and the awfulizing. And look, stop long enough to really look and really notice some things in God's creation. Look at the birds. I mean, think about birds. They blow us away with their ability to fly, to glide on the thermals, right, to dart with incredible speed. You ever watch, you know, a hawk in slow motion swooping down to grab a field mouse out of the, out of the grass? It's unbelievable. Right? It took us thousands of years. to. We only recently figured out how to fly. Right? They've been doing it all along, and our best fighter jets still can't do what they can do with their flight patterns. We're still behind. Right? They're absolutely and amazing and brilliant when it comes to flying, but look and notice. They're awful when it comes to calendars. Right? They, don't, they don't plan ahead for sowing and reaping. 
Right? Look at the absolutely beautiful. And yet they're terrible at investments and Roth IRAs and savings accounts and gathering into barns. And yet Jesus is saying they're not anxious. God feeds them. He provides for them. It, it doesn't mean that they don't work to find seeds and worms and whatever else they do. God equips them with what they need. And they're not anxious about tomorrow. They're not asking the what-if questions. Consider, stop and look and really notice the lilies of the field. You know, this past uh, spring and summer, I started walking a lot. And particularly on that, that path that follows Dawson's Creek, you know, that crosses underneath Kenilworth Parkway over there by the, um, the Breck Park where there's that green space. And at first when I would walk, I, I had my ear pods in and I was just listening to either podcast or music or whatever. Um, but pretty soon I just started noticing around me all of these beautiful flowers that were growing alongside the, the path. And most of them were probably what we would call weeds, but they were beautiful. And you know, I, I started leaving my ear pods at home because they were the, the, the distraction that I wanted to get, get rid of. And so I started bringing my wife's camera and I would photograph these beautiful designs and these beautiful colored flowers. And I'd come home and I'd, you know, sometimes I'd pick some and I, I'd try to sketch them and all that kind of stuff. Gorgeous flowers, beautiful colors intricate patterns and designs. You're stopping long enough to notice that the path I was walking wasn't a garden, that nobody planted those flowers, that nobody was monitoring the pH levels in the soil and whatever else you need for good flowers. But God was the gardener, and they didn't have to toil or spin, right? They weren't shopping for the latest petal designs and worrying about whether the color of the stamen is going to complement the color of their petals or, or whatever. I don't know much about flowers. But God did all of that. Right? First thing, stop long enough to look and really notice. Stop the downward spiral of asking all these what-if questions and take a long look at how God provides for His creation, Jesus is saying. Second, Thing. So first look, and then you have to understand. So that word for look in verse 26 and the word that uh, is in verse 28, consider, right? they're different Greek words, but they share a, a common definition. And that definition is that those words mean look until you see clearly or look so thoroughly and so carefully and so intently that you understand. See, at its root, anxiety in your life and mine is a theological problem. And it needs a theological treatment. Right? That's why we needed to talk about where anxiety comes from in the second point. Our anxiety accomplishes nothing good, we said. But it does accomplish something. It wars against your trusting and resting in God's goodness. It wars against that in your life. Look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field until you see clearly and understand. What should we understand? I thought about this a lot this week, and I don't think 
is that we're to understand that God can feed the birds of the air and clothe the lilies of the field in splendor, that He has the ability to do that. That's a part of it. I think Jesus was saying, yes, God can provide, but it's because of His absolute goodness that He does. Right? He delights and takes joy in providing for the birds and in clothing the grass of the field with such splendor just because He's good. And He delights to do so. Twice in this passage in verse 26 and 32, Jesus calls God our Heavenly Father. You know, He could have said God is the omnipotent ruler and king of the universe who sovereignly provides for His children or for His creation. But He didn't. He wants you to see God as your Father who delights in taking care of you because of His goodness. You know, a friend of mine says, until you see God as your Father, and not just your ruler, and not just your king, you're going to worry and be anxious in His direction. In other words, you'll be anxious, and then you'll go to God in prayer, and you'll just be anxious in His direction. Keep on worrying. Keep on being anxious in His presence. And never talk to Him him as your Father who delights in you, who loves you, and is good to you. The truth of God's goodness and love that He's your Heavenly Father, that has to get into your heart, deep into your heart, in order to dismantle that poisonous lie and suspicion that's there, that God's not good, that He can't be trusted. All right, last part of the treatment plan. So we got look, understand, finally seek. I'm going to be brief here because this is similar to what we talked about last week when we said you've got to treasure the right treasure. Right? This, the, these passages are connected. Um, you've got to find a treasure that's untouchable, one that can't be threatened or lost or taken away from you. The Gentiles, Jesus said in verse 32, they seek after food and drink and, and clothing. And he's saying, if that's what you're seeking for, and that's all you're seeking for in this life, that is a recipe for anxiety because those things come and go all the time. They're impermanent. They don't last. Easily threatened and insecure and fragile. So Jesus said in verse 33, seek something that cannot be lost. Seek first what will last forever, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then you won't be anxious. Because those things can never go away and will never go away. And you can trust God to provide everything else you need. How do you do that, though? And this is where where we need to bring this in for a landing. How do you find the freedom to not worry about food or drink or clothing or employment or grad school or or whatever it is that's on your mind and seek after the kingdom and his righteousness first and foremost how how do you give up your how do you find the freedom to give up your desire and need to be in control I think you can only do it if you realize that you are of such value to Jesus 
All right, what does he say in verse 26? Are you not of more value than them? You are of such value to him that he gave up everything to seek after you. Right, in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You won't know how to seek, or you won't be able to find the freedom to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness until you see Jesus seeking after you. Nick, Le- I don't know how to say his last name, Larangius, I guess, we'll, we'll guess. Anyway, we'll call him Nick from now on. Um, Nick was a new student at a magnet school in the Tribeca area of Manhattan. This is fourth day at school in an unfamiliar city, an unfamiliar school, unfamiliar faces around him, um, and he was 13 years old. And it was September 11th, 2001. And his new school was eight blocks from the World Trade Center towers. Um, And the students heard the explosion that morning, and they were told over the loudspeaker that this airplane had crashed into the South Tower. And, um, and, you know, uh, so they were kind of aware of what was going on. And then 25 minutes later, there was another explosion. And this explosion shook their school. They felt the rumble. And the lights flickered, and eventually the lights went out because the South Tower had, had fallen. And the students were told over the loudspeaker this time to get out, to evacuate. And so leaving the building, a scared Nick passed a fireman in the lobby who he described as white from head to toe, staggering, Face streaked with tears, chin and torso, a tangle of dust, saliva, and vomit. And the only sound he heard in the lobby, as he went on to describe, was that fireman sobbing and retching. That's kind of a scary fourth day of school. All right, so scared students, they poured out into the streets and they joined the stream of the people fleeing and evacuating, and Nick got separated in in all the commotion from his fellow students, and he was lost in this completely unfamiliar place. And he wound up, he was walking alongside uh, the Hudson River, and as he was walking, he described how he felt this hand on his head, like palming his head. And he turned around, and it was his dad. And you know what the first words out of his mouth were? I knew you'd come. Nick said, out of the 13,000 who were streaming uptown, out of the 3,200 other students, I knew I would be found. Because he was my dad. And that's just how it was. See, while everyone was fleeing Manhattan, This one man came running in towards the explosions, towards the smoke, towards the wreckage, and he pushed through the crowds, and he got past the barricades, and he evaded the police who were trying to stop him because he would not be stopped until he found his son. He ran into the wreckage seeking his son. 
And listen, Jesus, God's own son, he left glory and he ran toward the wreckage of broken, fallen humanity. He ran into the wreckage seeking you because of your value to him. Because of your value to him, he climbed the cross and he died the death you should have died for the penalty of grasping after his position and his authority. And he came to pay for your sin. And on the cross, he was abandoned by his father so that you could know that if you believe him, in him, you will never be abandoned by the father. That he is your father and he is your child and he delights to do good to you. And you know, God's goodness and love, you know, if we talk about those things, those are good things to talk about. But they are going to remain an abstraction for you. An abstraction that won't really combat the lie that is deep in your heart until you see Jesus and what his love for you cost him and what he was willing to do to seek and to save you. And it's when that becomes real to you that you realize you're free to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and not be anxious for anything. Because you have a father who values and loves you more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He so generously provides for you out of his goodness. How much more? Is he going to provide for you? And what you learn is that this anxiety thing, because the poisonous lie is sunk so deep into our hearts, is that you have to keep applying this treatment over and over and over in your life. You have to keep looking and understanding and seeking and working the truth of God's goodness and love and care for you deep into your heart in order to dismantle that poisonous anxiety that's there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather together today. And I thank you that we have opportunity to confess before you, even as we did earlier in our service and now, that we are anxious people. There has been a lie that is buried deep in all of our hearts that you can't be trusted, that we should be in control, that you're not good. And Father, we pray that you would lift our eyes to see Jesus, that, you, that we would see our value to you, what you were willing to do to have us, how you came into the wreckage seeking us and to save us. And Father, we pray that this good news would get deep into our hearts, that we would apply it over and over and over again in order that we would dismantle the toxic poison that's in our hearts. And we pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse 
our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.